I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The roots of this African-American spiritual go back to the slave days of the 17 and 1800s. In its history as a gospel in the black church, the original words were a message of praise and devotion. Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Then a minister named Reverend Osby from Aurora, Illinois, revamped those old lyrics while spending time in jail during the Freedom Rides. His version with a mind stayed on freedom spread and became a signature song of the civil rights movement. It is a song of direction and intention and purpose. It's a call to stay the course for a world we know and believe is possible. It's a song of inspiration when our imaginations let us down, mired in the reality of injustice and inequities. For those of us who are white, it is a clarion call against complacency, a caution not to be distracted by the glimmering benefits of our privileges. This song is a reminder for all of us to wake up each day with a heart focused on what is most important. It is a song that celebrates and is grateful for a daily level of attention, for persistence and resiliency, for radical care and concern, and for community like I see out here assembled together. This is not a song that we can sing along, and I'm so delighted that you joined with me here at the beginning of this talk. Our awakening is a collective act. It has a rhythm that is in harmony with the sun and the moon, that vibrates with the movements of our neighbors, that compels us to show up here on a Sunday morning on a beautiful summer day, that invites us to listen, see, know the real life experiences of those near and far, of people of color, of indigenous people, of immigrants, of all those who are oppressed. Now make no mistake, this song is not about perfectionism. It's not about unrealistic expectations of ourselves. We wake up to whatever each day brings in all its messiness, in all its joys, and in all its pain. Sometimes it is all that we can do to get through the day. And that's real. That's real. But ultimately, we who are Unitarian Universalists, all who are gathered here, are people who affirm a deeper, interconnected, and interdependent way of being. We are people striving to pay attention to creating a daily practice of living out our values, to taking on the challenges and the promises of this kind of journey. 
We do this knowing that we are and will never be perfect human beings. I know that is a shock to us all here. We will never be perfect human beings. And values to me always have this aspirational element to them. Yet even aspirations have to be actualized in some way, some shape, some form. They aren't aspirations if they languish in the realm of wishes, hopes, and dreams. I'm sorry, they're just not. What we value shows up where we put our feet, where we put our words, where we put our posts, our conversations, our decisions, our choices, and our deeds. This is true today, and it has been true throughout all of history. In 1864, the abolitionist Henry David Thoreau was jailed for refusing to pay a poll tax. According to some accounts, whether this is true or not, I'll leave it up to you to decide, but according to some, Ralph Waldo Emerson visited Thoreau and asked him, hey Henry, what are you doing in there? And Thoreau replied, Waldo, the question is, what are you doing out there? Many wondered if Thoreau would repent for engaging in acts of civil disobedience. Thoreau is reported to have said, if I repent of anything, it is very likely to be my good behavior. What demon possessed me that I behaved so well? When the co-chairs of the Poor People's Campaign, the Reverend Dr. William Barber and the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris shared Thoreau's account in a Time Magazine editorial, they concluded with this call. In the face of so much injustice, we all need to stop behaving so well. The Poor People's Campaign has given many of us that chance to stop behaving so well. This year's launch of a national call for moral revival was inspired by and grew out of seeds planted in 1968. And because I don't know if everybody here was involved in the launch of the Poor People's Campaign, I want to give you a little bit of the history and context. And it comes from the introduction of a report called The Souls of Poor Folk. And you can find that on the Poor People's Campaign website. But let me just share these words. It's been 50 years since 1968 when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and thousands of Americans, alarmed at their government's blindness to human need, launched the Poor People's Campaign. As they marched up from the nation's neglected shadows, Dr. King paused to answer a plea for support from sanitation workers on strike in Memphis. There, an assassin snatched his life on April 4th. Brokenhearted, this Freedom Church of the Poor gathered by the thousands in Washington. They erected Resurrection City, their encampment on the National Mall, to demand that their government address bitter poverty in the wealthiest nation in the world. They confronted fundamental questions about America's moral and constitutional vision for all of its people, regardless of their wealth, race, gender, or national origin. They demanded attention to the hungry children and inadequate schools from Appalachia to the Mississippi Delta to the devastated inner cities across America. 
They made moral witness against America's long, pointless, and immoral war in Vietnam and tried hard to be heard as they carried their testimony forward into public life. The hard history that compelled them to pray with their feet, as Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, also compelled many Americans to ask whether the republic for which they stood would ever stand for them. Fifty years later, 2018, beset by deepening poverty, ecological devastation, systemic racism, and an economy harnessed to seemingly endless war, the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, likewise beckons our nation to a higher ground. We call upon our society to see the predicaments of the most vulnerable among us and to halt the destruction of America's moral vision. Hundreds of thousands across the nation today stand on the shoulders of the Freedom Church of 1968. We turn to America's history and to the realities of our own time, not to wallow in a fruitless nostalgia of pain. We seek instead to redeem a democratic promise enshrined in the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, yet even more deeply rooted in the living ingredients of our own lives and embodied in the countless and largely unacknowledged grassroots activists who have labored to lift those founding documents to their full meaning. We come to remind our nation what truths we hold to be self-evident. We come to remind our nation what values we hold dear. In Washington and at state capitals around the country, we hope to make a new moral witness from our love for what Maya Angelos called these yet-to-be United States. All right? Framework? You following me? So that's where we were. That's how it all began. 50 years from its start in 1968 in those resurrection tent cities, Resurrection Church out in D.C. The launch of this 2018 campaign included 41 states. It started out with a dream of about 20. And as the word got out and as momentum grew, 41 states joined in on this campaign of 40 days of coordinated action all together on Mondays across 41 states. It began on Monday after Mother's Day, so May 14th, and it was unprecedented. Hundreds of people submitted to arrest in nonviolent direct action, and thousands came out to rallies, marches, and demonstrations. Who here came out to any of the Minnesota Poor People's Campaign? Were there any ones here? A couple people. That's awesome. Thousands more bore witness by following accounts on social media, and it was covered in mainstream uh, TV and print news all throughout the country. I want to stress that the campaign, which continues on its next phase, is more than a series of actions. It is about who we are as individuals and a nation. It is about changing the conversation and using a form of power that flows up from the bottom. It's people crying and rising up in strength and power and crying out, somebody's hurting my brother and it's gone on 
far too long. <laughs> so we're going In your uh, insert, somebody's hurting my brother, and the lyrics are up here, you'll see it. It's a call and response, and so let me uh, sing first, and, and then I'll show you when your response is. You do the response first time. Okay? All right, all right. Somebody's hurting my brother, and it's gone on far too long. Yes, it's gone on far too long. I said that it's gone on far too long. Whoa, somebody's hurting my brother, and it's gone on far too long. And then all together, and we won't be silent anymore. Alright, we're going to put a little rhythm to it, alright? Off beat, there we go. <laughs> Somebody's hurting my brother and it's gone on far too long. Yes, it's gone on far too long. I said that it's gone on far too long. Whoa, somebody's hurting my brother and it's gone on far too long and we won't be silent anymore my sister somebody's hurting my sister and it's gone on far too long i said that it's gone on far too long oh yes it's gone on far too long Whoa, somebody's hurting my sister and it's gone on far too long and we won't be silent anymore somebody's hurting our families somebody's hurting our families and it's gone on far too long i said that it's gone on far too long oh yes it's gone on far too long families and it's gone on far too long and we won't be silent anymore you want to do one more yeah let's do one more poisoning our water well somebody's poisoning our water and it's gone on far too long i said that it's gone on far too long oh yes it's gone on far too long Whoa, somebody Poisoning our water and it's gone on far too long and we won't be silent anymore. No clapping. And we won't be silent anymore. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you, Kelly. Here's the thing, all those things we named. Somebody's hurting our brother, our sister, our families, our children, our waters, our planet. These problems of 50 years ago have remained pervasive. And by many measures, they are even worse today. Drawn by the moral imperative of the Poor People's Campaign, which includes people with many religious, theological, and philosophical perspectives, I became part of the Minnesota Steering Committee as the rally producer. 
Each of the six weeks focused on a particular issue, not in isolation, but recognizing the intersections of injustices. And each week, we worked with a different grassroots organization, a different partner who is working on the streets directly with and includes people who are impacted by whatever issue it is that they are focused on. And we gathered at the state capitol, we gathered at the St. Paul and Minneapolis City Hall, we gathered at government buildings, in the hearts of commerce, and out on the streets. Week three, May 21st, connected systemic racism with economic justice and was in partnership with MIRAC, the Minnesota Immigrants' Rights Action Committee. As Kelly said, my passion is working with and for people who are incarcerated, so I knew that this week, week three on immigration, was calling me to do something deeper, to engage in a way that I had never done before, to really put the privilege of my whiteness out on the line. I went to pre-action training, I tamped down my need for control and my need to know all the details. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What do I have to prepare for? All of those questions that were rattling around in my mind. And I agreed to follow the lead of the organizers, to trust that they actually knew best what had to happen and to just show up and do what they told me to do. As a minister, that's really, really hard. I think it's hard probably for most of us in this room. So I woke up that morning with my mind stayed on freedom. I pulled out my clergy attire, the uniform that I and some UU ministers like Kelly choose to wear for social justice work. I got this uh, handy stole at the humanist booth at General Assembly in Kansas City this year. Isn't it delightful? It allows me to move and identifies me as a clergy member. And sometimes I wear a clerical collar, even though my uh, theological orientation is not Christianity. It is a recognizable symbol that you are a faith leader. And showing up at these social justice events and activities in a way that is counterculture to what people expect of a clergy person has a lot of power. And so I, I wear these clothes with very great intention and purpose. So that day, that morning, it was a Tuesday morning, we had had a rally at the state uh, capitol Monday to follow along with all of the national actions, and we had uh, speakers, and we marched over to the Christopher Columbus statue that is on the grounds of the state capitol. Did you know that we have a Christopher Columbus statue on the grounds of the state capitol? Well, we do. And so we plastered that statue with the reality of what Christopher Columbus brought to our, our, uh, these lands, these lands that uh, did not belong to us. And then Tuesday morning came a different kind of work. And so I donned my attire, and my spouse dropped me off at the Fort Snelling parking ride where I gathered with my team. As we made our way towards the Whipple building, I heard the marching band. We had a marching band that day. I saw the crowd with their banners and their signs, banners like we have here and there, and signs like these, and we've got lots of signs up front if you feel compelled to hold a sign sometime during this service. 
And I joined in with the chants amplified by the bullhorns and the raised fists and the group of people that were there. And my spirits and commitment were bolstered by a song that was our rallying cry. It's an anthem written specifically for the 2018 Poor People's Campaign. Here locally, we sang it every single week, thanks to our theomusicologist, Jayanthi. We sang it every week, and it became embedded in my bones. It rattled around, reminding me over and over and over again of the power of the people, a power that cannot be stopped, of what happens when we wake up in the morning with our mind stayed on freedom. So Kelly and I are gonna teach you the song so that collectively we can tap into this power. And I'm gonna sing through it once. I don't have quite the voice that Kelly does, but this is more of a chanty voice, any or song, anyhow. So, so I'm gonna sing it through once so you get a feel for it. And then Kelly will lead us into learning it line by line. All right? Oh, I don't need the words. I just had to get my cue. We are new, unsettling force, and we are powerful anew. Unsettling force, and we're here anew. Unsettling force for liberation, and we've got nothing to lose but our chains, and we've got nothing to lose but our chains. All right? You think you can sing that? It's even got hand motions, y'all. It's a little fast. It is a little, I sang it a little fast, but you know, when you're out on the march and you're out moving, you kind of you get into the room. You'll get it. You'll get it. All right, so just repeat, repeat the line after me. Uh, we are a new unsettling force and we are powerful. We are a new unsettling force and we are powerful. A new unsettling force and we're here. A new unsettling force and we're here. A new unsettling force for liberation. A new unsettling force for liberation. And we've got nothing to lose but our chains. And we've got nothing to lose but our chains. And then we repeat that last one. Right? And we okay. do. All right, let's do it. You got it. See, I already got it. All right. We can sing it slower. We can sing it a little bit slower. And the, and the words are, are they over there? They're on that one. Yeah. So you don't have to be too tied to your, to your thing here. We're a new unsettling force and we are powerful. A new unsettling force and we're here. A new unsettling force for liberation. And we've got nothing to lose but our chains. And we've got nothing to lose but our chains. We a settling force and we are powerful anew. Unsettling force and we're here anew. Unsettling force for liberation and we've got nothing to lose but our chains and we've got nothing to lose but our chains. We are anew. Unsettling force and we are powerful anew. Unsettling force and we're here anew. Unsettling force for liberation 
creation and we've got nothing to lose but our chains and we've got nothing to lose but our chains and we've got nothing to lose but our chains all right you all are really good you're getting it you're getting it this is awesome all right so let's go back we're outside the Whipple building. What's the Whipple building? The Whipple building. The Whipple building. It's outside the Fort Snelling light rail station. You probably, well, I'll, I'll get to that, but you probably have driven by it. It's a nondescript, government-looking building at the kind of where Crosstown 62 and 55 come together. Um, there's a bunch of, like, scouting, uh, buildings and scouting fields, and then amongst all that, there's this, I mean, government-looking building right there. I've lived in that area for 20 years, and I've driven by that building a bajillion times, and I never knew that that houses the um, immigration courts, it houses marshal's offices, it houses all kinds of um, um, enforcement, law enforcement, offices. So there we were. Uh, our goal was to block the road to prevent one of several vans that come in every single day with people who are about to be deported. Uh, the Whipple Building is the regional headquarters for the five-state area for people, and it's the last stop before they get deported. And what we learned just that morning was we were going to, those of us on what's called the red team, we're going to go out onto the street and we were going to try to stop these vans from entering in the gate and entering onto the grounds. So we were outside of the gate on public property to prevent them from going into the gate. And so when the time came and our team leader gave us the single signal, 18 of us, um, 18 of us with the privilege of white skin who can take this kind of risk went out onto the street and we linked arms and we stopped traffic. Now there was this driver of a pickup truck who uh, wasn't going to have anything to do with this and he came up and uh, brushed up against one of our team members who was on the end, uh, hit one of our marshals in the arm. Uh, he was determined to uh, not let anything stop him and decided to take his multi-ton vehicle against human beings standing uh, nonviolently in the middle of a street. When it became clear that we needed to change strategy because of the rerouting of the vans, we moved to the light rail tracks. This was not something that the 18 of us knew was going to happen. Um, this is when you get the word from your organizers and you do what you're told. And when they told us to move onto the light rail tracks, that's what almost all of us did. There was one person who, who uh, didn't choose to do that, and that was her choice, and that was totally acceptable. For the rest of us, we moved out onto the track. We got out there, and there was a train there, a train full of people. It was... 9 a.m. in the morning, it's rush hour. There's a train full of people trying to get to work. 
Uh, some of them supported our action, some of them did not, and my guess is the same is true for those of you here in the room, and that's okay. That's okay. Our goal that day was clear, though. For one day, for one day, we were going to stop deportation, and we did. For one day, a van load of people got a little bit more freedom for one day. We put our bodies on the line directly in front of the place where government policies dehumanize our immigrant siblings. We refused to ignore our conscience, and this conscience implored us to act in response to what we felt and continue to feel is a moral emergency. Moral is simply what is right and what is wrong. And it is wrong what is done at this building and in buildings like it all throughout the country. Engaging in nonviolent direct action and facing the consequences, that is an example of power to the people. It is the choice that 18 of us made that day. It's not the only choice, but it is a powerful and effective choice. And it's also following Thoreau's example to stop behaving so well in the face of injustice. Eventually, after a couple of hours of sitting on those tracks, the police made a move to arrest us. And as a little bit of a funny side note, we found out that the reason there was the delay in arresting us is that they forgot the kit to arrest us. There is a box of zip ties, kind of like a civil disobedience arrest kit, and they left it back home. <laughs> so they, they had to go and get it. So they just sort of left us cooling our heels on the track. Because by this time, you know, the trains had been rerouted. The people had been uh, picked up by a bus and brought to another station. There was, there was nobody there any longer. Uh, so eventually, they got their kit and they came out. Uh, and one by one, we were brought over to a waiting metro transit bus that would transport us to the Hennepin County Government Center where we were cited and released. We were cited with two misdemeanor counts. And as I walked off, I raised my fist high for liberation and I heard the cheer of the crowd in affirmation. Again, for one day, we stopped deportation. And we call attention to this building that thousands and thousands of people drive by every day on their way to the airport, on their way to the Mall of America, on their way to work. They drive by this building every day and maybe a few of them now know what really goes on in that building. On the bus ride to downtown Minneapolis with our hands tightly zip-tied behind our backs, we kept singing a song. So this is the last song we're going to sing today. I love this song. It's one of these songs that you zipper in and out different words. And so, Kelly, I'm going to zipper in and out three different lines that we're going to sing. Okay. 
I think it's a song that, a tune that probably y'all know, or some of you know, but let's, how do you want to do some this? Some of you may know this. Peak Singer sang this song and, and other people. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. What are we singing? Fighting for liberation? Yep, we'll start with that one. We're, We're fighting for liberation. liberation. We, we shall not be moved. We're fighting for liberation. And we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. Love and justice. We're fighting for love and justice. We're fighting for love and justice. We shall not be moved. We're fighting for love and justice. And we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not sanctuary. For sanctuary. We're, We're fighting for sanctuary and we shall not be moved. We're fighting for sanctuary and we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be So my dear friends, this is my, my wish, my affirmation, my aspiration for us all. May we wake up each morning with our minds stayed on freedom, stayed on the injustices that are hurting our people and our planet knowing that no one is free until we are all free. We know that living out our values in whatever form they take in any given moment makes a real difference. That there's power in the daily practice of paying attention, in refusing complacency, in striving and, triving, striving and trying to keep on moving forward and moving forward together. For in this work of life, we are not perfect, and we are also never, ever alone. We have the great gift of helping each other along with kindness and care, with grace and understanding. We have the great gift of waking up to a new day every day. And what can we do with that day. May we meet it with love. Blessed be.